I'm going to invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Revelation chapter 19. 18. I'm getting ahead here. 18. Revelation 18. I had a chance to talk to Pastor Jeff this afternoon and such a blessing to just hear how he's strengthened in the spirit. He, he told me that this has been such a sweet time for him with the Lord and really the Lord is speaking to him and just revealing so much to him. And uh, we pray as we continue to wait for the healing that God has for him and his life. So we're continuing to pray, but we also praise God for the strength that he has given him today. Even as he's going this week, he's going through some treatment. So we pray for him, but we also praise God for the strength that he's giving him. Amen. We're at Revelation 18, and we titled today's message, Babylon Has Fallen. Babylon Has Fallen. Write that down if you like taking notes. We've studied even last week as we were introduced to Babylon, that great harlot, that Babylon is a system by which the Antichrist gains now power or rule. And Babylon represents a one-world economy. It represents one-world politics or government. And it also represents a one-world religious apostate system. We know that the Antichrist, the devil gains power of the earth with two instruments that he uses, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And last week we learned through Revelation 17 as to the end or the fall of Babylon, that false religious apostate church, the destruction of that apostate church, how the Antichrist will use religion to gain influence of the world and then dispel now that false church and gain control of the world. But we see here that Babylon in verse 1 of chapter 18, it continues to describe a world that is in rebellion against God called Babylon. A society that has persecuted God's people, that has opposed God's plan, and that God would eventually destroy So in Revelation chapter 17, if you like taking notes, that was the fall of religious Babylon. And here in Revelation 18, we see the fall of commercial Babylon. Commercial Babylon is led directly by the Antichrist. And commercial Babylon is judged and is destroyed at the end of the tribulation period. Whereas the religious Babylon of Revelation chapter 17 is destroyed at the midpoint of the tribulation period. But during this time, it's very important for us to know that economy now, not only is it going to be a one-world economy, but it's it's ruled by the Antichrist. Notice this, it's going to be a time of prosperity. So the Antichrist is going to dominate with prosperity, but also with a culture of materialism, of pleasure now. We know even in our world today, in our society today, what does the devil want to do? He wants to drive people with lust, right? With lust. And what does lust do in this world? It promises, but it never delivers. And it leaves us empty every single time. So the Antichrist does that very thing. He he now brings a time of economic 
prosperity with a one-world economy. And he, he now lures people in with lust, with materialism, with, with pleasure now. And everyone is motivated by that very thing, pleasure. I think it's important that we as a church today are very now discerning of the strategies of the devil because the devil today, even now in today's world, wants to really lure people in, deceive people with materialism, with pleasure, with the riches of this world. And that's exactly why you see warnings in Scripture that Jesus gave, even through the Gospels, as to we now as a church being given over to the kingdom of God and not to the riches of this world. Think about how many people were serving one day in the church or were following Christ, but because of a job or because of a career, because of money, what do they do? They put Christ to the side. They put the ministry uh, to another day and they no longer not only are serving the Lord, but now what are they doing? They're serving the world and they've become now uh, distracted by the mammon of this world. Jesus said Himself, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to love one, despise the other. You're going to be loyal to one and neglect the other. And you see here through the fall of commercial Babylon that people were motivated, were driven by money, by riches that the Antichrist offered them. That's why we have to be very clear that we understand what does this world want to offer? The riches of this world. Just like now Satan took Jesus and he says, you worship me and I'll give you all of the principalities of the world. And he took him up to that pinnacle. And Jesus, what did he say? It is written, right? You should not tempt the Lord your God. It's so important as we see here the commercial Babylon and how it's destroyed. We see number one, in verse one, the voice of condemnation. It's going to split these chapter in four different sections, but first off, we see the voice of condemnation. Verse one, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having a great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, because You warn us. You give us a warning, Lord, that we would not be distracted with the riches of this world. That we would not be motivated, Lord, by what we can gain, Lord, that we would lose our lives so that we can find it in You, Jesus. I pray, God, that You would give us an eternal perspective today, mindset, that if we seek advancement, that it would be advancement in the Kingdom of God. And that we would not buy in to the deception of this world. So we pray this all in Your name, in Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. We see here in verse 1 that John the Apostle says, after these things, after the fall of the vision of the false 
religious Babylon, I saw another angel coming down from heaven with a great authority or with a mighty shout and loud voice, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now this angel not only comes with from heaven illuminating the earth, but he comes here as it describes with bright splendor. If you remember, after the fifth bowl, there was darkness over the whole earth. So against that background of darkness, there's a sudden blazing appearance of this angel. And he cries out with a mighty loud voice with a shout. And notice what the message that this angel cries out. And he cried out with mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen. It's fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons. Now we know that Babylon not only is a system, but it's also a place. And today we don't necessarily know what place that Babylon is. Some people believe that the religious apostate now a church is going to be formed and led. The epicenter of it would be Rome. We don't know necessarily where the epicenter of the Antichrist will be in regards to the economy capital of the world, but some people believe that it would be there as well in Europe and in Rome. But against that backdrop of darkness, there's an angel that comes and blazes and says, Babylon the Great, or the economy of this world, has fallen. But not only has it fallen, this earth has become a home for demons. Now, look at verse 2 as it describes now the atmosphere, the condition of the world during that time, the end of the tribulation period. It has become a home for demons, a prison or a banishment for every evil spirit. So demonic spirits are let loose or free on the earth and a hideout for every hated bird. Now, I want you to know this, that in Scripture, birds are always a symbol of evil. I'm sorry to say that to all the bird lovers out there. They're always a symbol of evil. And it says, during this time, notice it describes it. The earth is going to be Satan's house. It's going to be demonically inspired. And in verse 2, it describes a desolation and a destruction of the earth. In fact, it would describe as hell on earth. Notice the description that it gives there in verse 2. It says, the economy of the world has fallen under the rulership of the Antichrist. This has become Satan's house. It is now a place for every demonic spirit, and it is a cage for every evil or unclean, hated bird. It's a place of torment. We even know even today how as the prince of the power of the air is ruling this earth, notice, what do we wrestle against? Not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of darkness. Right now, today, we're not able to see into the demonic realm physically, but we know that we fight a spiritual battle during that day, in that time, we will be able to see those people that are living during that time, we'll see the demonic activity very visibly. Why? Because it's going to be the home for Satan. And notice, it describes judgment upon this fallen Babylon or economic system of the world in verse 3 for two reasons. Number one, there's judgment because of her spiritual fornication. 
because of her spiritual fornication. It says this, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornications. All the nations of the earth, what do they do? They have fallen. They've bought into it. They're drunk. They're intoxicated with her immoral sin. That's what the fornication means. An immoral sin of the Antichrist. What is the fornication here? What is it that they're worshiping? How are they being unfaithful? What are they drunk with? They're drunk with the worship of pleasure. They're drunk with the pleasure now and the worship of money. They're drunk with this world with the pleasure and they're worshiping materialism. They're programmed unto possessions. Have you noticed that this is exactly what the media tries to do today? They try to program people for possessions. We know that once you have that latest car, what's, it's, it's not enough after you have the latest car, right? And you may think, well, you know what? I have a, the latest car, brand new year, zero miles. It's so interesting when someone prides themselves in that. It, it, as soon as you drive off that lot, it devaluates in price right away. It becomes a used car. <laughs> and we see that the world today, as it is led, as it's dominated, programmed by possessions, there more than any time in the history of this earth, of the world, it will be now dominated, programmed by possessions. So the nations have drunk now or are worshiping pleasure and money. But also the kings. Notice it describes it there in verse 3. Also, not only the nations, but notice the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So the nations, the kings, and the merchants. Would you underline that in your Bible? It describes the nations, all people. The kings, all political leaders of the earth are seduced into this now idolatry and committed this spiritual fornication. They've polluted the whole world. But also the merchants. What does it describe this? The corporate leaders of the world. You see, the corporate leaders of the world that have an agenda today. We may think that they are only involved in, in business, in trade, in merchant, in commerce. But they also have a very strong voice in the political realm. And it says, not only do the kings, the political leaders, not only do the nations, but also the corporate leaders were lured into this greed and this money. Now, why were they lured into it? Because... They desired to become rich. And they're drunk and they're intoxicated now with her immorality because they've pledged allegiance to the Antichrist. They're drunk with materialism and this passion for pleasure. They're swept under this worldwide system of commerce that has promised prosperity. There's an important warning that Jesus gives to us in Luke chapter 12. Verse 5. Luke 12, verse 5. And He said to them, Take heed, beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness that you are not a person that is motivated by possessions or by gain or by greed that you need more. Motivated by money. For one's life does not consist, He would say, in the abundance of the things he possesses the value of our lives is not measured by what you have, but in who you are in Jesus Christ. How many of us can say amen to that? 
It's not in what we have. It's not in the things that we possess. But it's in who we are in Christ Jesus. And during this time, as we read only those three verses, we know that the Babylon system, the commerce system, is being catered to a people that were lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. It's so important today that we realize that. Lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Why did the world wants to replace our love for God to give us a love for self instead. So that instead of thinking about God, we're thinking about ourselves, our own life, this temporal life that is passing away so quickly. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he gives him a warning that in the last days, people are going to be lovers of self and then lovers of money. Notice as he says it this way, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Very dangerous times will come. Dangerous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. What do men love today more than anything? Themselves. It's all about self. It's about self-gain. A selfish agenda. A selfish motivation. Not only that, lovers of money about how I can advance in this world, about how you can get status, about how you can now get a title, how you can get a position, how you can promote yourself. You see it so much in the social media world. It's a fake lifestyle that you try to promote that others would buy into that is not even real. And what are people? They've become lovers of self. Lovers of money now. Notice that it describes boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. <laughs> if these d- characteristics do not describe the times that we're living in now, I don't know what they describe. <laughs> because it's speaking of the last days. These are the days that we're living in right now. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. And this is exactly why Jesus said Himself that, that your life the value of your life is not measured by the things that you possess. And then Paul tells Timothy this this same thing. Know that in the last days, people will become lovers of themselves and lovers of money. What happens when you become a lover of self and a lover of money? You become unfruitful. Do you remember that parable of the sower? Where he says, some seeds of that sower that went out, they fell among thorns. Some fell on hard soil. Some by the wayside and some on thorns. He said that those seeds that fell on thorns, you know what happens? Is those people that hear the word of God, but then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke out the word of God and he becomes unfruitful. Just think about that. When you hear the word of God, but instead you're distracted now by the deceitfulness of this world and it chokes out the Word of God in your life, and therefore, there is no fruit produced. It's important that as we read this chapter, we understand, we're reminded that the worldly things of this life do not permanently satisfy us. It's an artificial happiness. Everything of this world is just an artificial happiness. It's the love of pleasure. It's a demonic now origin of idolatry. And that's exactly what it's describing here. 
It's demonic in its origin, and it's destructive in its outcome. Notice now, number two, the voice of separation. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, and here it speaks of another angel saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. Many people believe that this is the voice of God Himself. That He's calling out to the people of the earth. And He says, my people. Who is He describing? Is He talking to the church? No, the church at this point has been raptured. But here, the voice of separation is calling out to the tribulation saints. A voice coming out of heaven saying, come out from her. Come out of her. Come out of that, that evil now world, that evil now seductive system that you are surrounded by. Or what is he saying? Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure even through persecution. Keep yourself pure and disentangle yourself from this evil secular system. Do not become entangled in this world. If another translation, it would read there, verse 4, Come away from her, my people, lest you share in her sin. There's two reasons why the Lord is exhorting the tribulation saints, those that came to faith after the rapture of the church, during the time where the 144,000 were giving witness, during the time of the two witnesses, those group of people that gave their life to Christ, while they were still living on this earth, Notice the exhortation in verse 4. It says, come out of her, my people. Do not become entangled. Do not become deceived. Two reasons as to why. Number one, lest you share in her sins so that you don't become and begin to participate in the sins of the world. Number one. But not only that, but that also that you would not receive her plagues or her judgment. Come out of her. Come out of that system. Get away from them. Leave that place that is ripe for destruction. You remember back in Genesis in the Old Testament where God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and He told Lot to get out of there? I'm going to judge this place. Come out of there. There in that same like manner, the Lord is saying to His people, come out of this worldly, secular System, do not become entangled, keep yourself pure. He's speaking here of our sanctification. And what did he tell Lot? Come out of get out of there with your family. What happened to Lot's wife? She turned back and she became a pillar of salt. How many times do we as believers, the Lord says, come out of that worldly secular system that you're in? And instead of looking to the Lord, what do we do? We look back. We're never going to be able to walk where God wants us if we're always looking back at the world. And here he's saying in verse 4, come out from her. Notice this warning. God always warns before He judges. That's how graceful He is. That's how faithful He is to us. He warns us and then He brings the judgment. Come out of Babylon. Don't get intoxicated. Do not become involved. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, we, we've read it many times. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is God's perfect will for our lives, that we are called to be separated. 
separated from this world, separated unto holiness. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 20, when the nation of Israel was in captivity for those 70 years, also under Babylon, the prophet would speak now to the people, saying this, go forth from Babylon. Get out of Babylon. Flee from the Chaldeans now. With a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed His servant Jacob. What is the Lord's call constantly from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Get out of Babylon. Don't be a people of Babylon. This worldly, secular system. Do not compromise. Regardless of the relentless pressure of this world. He's saying there in verse 4, do not compromise. Beware of the materialistic lure that is constantly now coming against us that we should guard ourselves of all the time. You see, here he's being very specific in verse 4. He's saying, this is a call to depart from Babylon. This is a call to depart from worldliness that represents a theme that repeats itself frequently in Scriptures. Paul told the carnal church of Corinth, he told them the same thing in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Do not become entangled with sin. Therefore, come out from among them, he said, and be separated, says the Lord. Do not touch what's unclean, and I will receive you. What is God calling us to do? To be separated. A call to separation. A call to sanctification. A call to holiness. A.W. Tozer said it best when he said this, the weakness of so many modern Christians is that they feel too much at home in the world. Just think about how many times we feel at home in this world. This is not our permanent home. We are passing by. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims in this world. We're going to our heavenly home. There it's in heaven. And praise God that during this time, we're not going to be here if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. But he's saying there to the tribulation saints, to those that are here on this earth, judgment is coming. Get out of that secular system. Do not be entangled. Do not be indoctrinated with that secular system. I think it's important even for us today as we raise our children that we make sure that we don't raise them in a secular system that's constantly wanting to indoctrinate them with the doctrines of Satan in this world. It's just so sad what you see taking place in our society where, where people cannot make a stand between what's a man and a woman anymore. And you see it all over media, all over the news now. That anything is accepted. I, I, I was reading an article even uh, this, this week about how uh, the governor of, of California has signed a bill to make it more cost-effective to have abortions in the state. Taking away all co-pays. And I think to myself when I think about this, that if that's not the indoctrination or the secular system of our state, of, the, of, of this world, of the devil, then we need to wake up and understand the days we're living in. Notice that it describes in verse 5, it says, for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. God remembers the sin of Babylon. God remembers the sin of the world. And notice, our sins, He says in Jeremiah chapter 3, 
His, the sins of His people, He will remember no more. But God remembered the sins of Babylon, it says, and, and God has remembered them and rendered to her, verse 6, her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. What is God going to do there in verse 6? He's going to repay. I want you to circle that word in your Bible in verse 6 where it says repay because it means he's going to give back to Babylon, to that worldly, one world economy of the Antichrist, that system, give back that which is due. And it says give her back double of what she has done to other people. Give her the justice that she deserves now for persecuting believers. Not only is God going to repay her, but it's going to be full and it's going to be overflowing. There's not going to be any forgiveness, only judgment for the unrepentant people. You know what's awesome when we read that verse there, verse 5 and 6? It's encouraging to those, those believers that were suffering and that were receiving this now book here of Revelation. What does it say? God will repay. You don't have to try to defend yourself. You don't have to try to get even. You don't have to try to now go and speak on your behalf. Let the Lord repay. You know how when, when, when we become overcome by evil, when we try to repay ourselves. When we try to get even with those that have wronged us. Paul told the church in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, he says this, repay no one evil for evil. Don't try to get even. Oftentimes we find out what people said about us. So what's the first thing we want to do? Well, I'm going to tell you what's true about them. But it says here, repay evil, no evil for evil, but have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Notice, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Don't try to get even. Do not avenge yourself. God will repay. Rather, give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire in his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's so sad when people get so worked up about what people are saying about them. I want to defend myself. I want to show them. I need to tell them. You don't need to do anything. You need to let the Lord defend you. Why? Because everyone's accountable to the Lord. And you know, at the end of the day, He has the final word. <laughs> it's so awesome. You even, you even see here in, in chapter 18 that the Antichrist may have an agenda, but everyone's accountable to God. God will repay. And the devil can masquerade himself with ulterior motives sometimes, but God has the final word. Verse 7, it describes it this way. In the measure that she glorified herself. Notice how proud this evil system is. Instead of glorifying God, she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. Lived in a way that brought her self-pleasure. In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. And I'm no widow and I will see no sorrows. Look at that pride. How does Babylon sit? How does that system now hold itself. We describe it, it says it, she lived in luxury 
thriving on pleasure. She made it all about possessions, about her pleasure was the most important things in her life. And notice, the same way of judgment she will be left with and the same type of sorrows she's going to experience. And in her heart, what is she boasting? I am a queen. I'm sitting like a queen. I will never be dethroned. You know what that's called? Pride. (laughs) Holding on to power, holding on to wealth, holding on to possessions. I'm never going to be dethroned. This false confidence that never think of themselves as as weak or as sorrow, but proud, really? And this is a self-sufficiency that God will hold them accountable to. What did did Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 tell us? Solomon would say this, pride goes before destruction, but an haughty spirit before what? The fall. And that's why Babylon has fallen. Why? Because she carries herself so prideful. In verse 8, it says, therefore her plagues will come in one day. Notice, so quickly, this threefold sin of self-indulgence, of pride, of avoiding her accountability, saying that she will never see sorrow. In one day, all her plagues will come and overtake her in a single day. This entire economic now empire will collapse. It would say, death and mournings and famines, she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Would you circle that in your Bible? For strong is the Lord. Who's the one that judges? The Lord is the one that judges. And what is He? He is strong there. The apostle would say in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And all of us one day are going to be held accountable. We're not the judge of anybody. Who's the judge? God is the judge. And here he he describes it in verse 8. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. The Lord is going to judge with a strong arm, with a mighty hand. And he's going to hold this secular, satanic system of that day of Babylon. He's going to hold her accountable. And notice, she will see destruction. But number three, we see not only the judgment, but the voice of lamentation. The world is going to suffer. The world's going to mourn when they see Babylon, the great fall, when they see this one world economy fall. You think about all the religious now leaders that saw religious Babylon fall, but now all the commercial leaders, all the political leaders, all those people that trusted and put, it, put all their trust in their stock, what are they going to think when the market crashes completely on that day? <laughs> the, the political leaders of, of the day, notice it says, the kings of the earth, the first group, the political leaders who partnered with the Antichrist, who gave into his system, it says, who committed fornication and lived luxuriously or lived for this world with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. When they see that great city, when they see this system fall, and they see that it's all burned, it's all falling, what are they going to do? It says they're going to mourn and they're going to weep. They're going to mourn and they're going to weep. Why? Because they're going to see, they're standing at a far distance. It would say, verse 10, notice, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city For in one hour, your judgment has come so quickly in one hour. (laughs) So overnight, notice, 
the economy, the entire empire of the Antichrist was destroyed. Isn't it important for us even to realize that when it comes to possessions, when it comes to what God gives us, that the same way that he can give it to you, he can also, what are you getting? He can take it away. It can be taken away. And he destroys this Babylon. And notice, they stand afar off. They don't want to be a part of that judgment. They're looking at Babylon. They're seeing her be burned. And notice what happens. They're crying out. They're mourning now. Why? Because they trusted in this economic system. And now when they see they've lost all their wealth, they lost all their money, what do you think they're going to think? They're going to be in despair. They're going to be left with nothing. The second group, verse 11, are the merchants of the earth or the commerce. The commercial leaders. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn. They also will weep. Not only the political leaders, but also the, now the merchant and commercial leaders will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Why are they going to mourn in self-interest? Because they trusted and they used the secular satanic system to make profit. What is the Antichrist going to do? If you pledge allegiance to me, you're going to become rich. And the political leaders bought into it. The now religious leaders had bought into it. But also the commercial leaders. And when they see Babylon destroyed, they're going to be crying out. It says, no one is buying our merchandise anymore. There's no one left to buy our goods. Our economy is destroyed. Verse 12, it describes the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, and the scarlet and every kind of central wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Notice it describes other merchandise that this world has ever valued. It goes on, verse 13, and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, even the goods, food, cattle and sheep, horses, and chariots and bodies and souls of men. All their commodities, every kind of gold is crashed and now notice it's worth nothing. She will no longer have the value that she once possessed. Think about all the people on that day standing outside of Wall Street crying. <laughs> that all their money, all their stock, everything that they put their trust in, what happened? It's all gone. It doesn't even matter. Verse 14, it says, And the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. Think about how empty that life is. When you trust in possessions, when you trust, trust in materialistic things. That's what the most important things that we have are heavenly things, spiritual things. But the third group that is mourning are shipmasters. What happens to shipmasters? And the merchants of these things, notice, who become rich by her, also the shipmasters, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. This third group of merchants saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and great scarlet adorned with gold and precious stones perished. It's been destroyed. For in one hour, very quickly, such great riches came to what? To nothing. Notice on that day, everything's going to come to nothing. Every shipmaster and all who travel by ship 
sailors and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. So it's going to affect the political economy. It's going to affect now the merchant and the world of commerce. But it's also going to affect the world of trade and transportation. During the time of the pandemic last year, we saw many ships parked out there by the ports not being able to come in. And people panicking because they couldn't receive the goods that were still on the ships. Many people didn't get their packages in the mail. Many people were struggling to find products and goods. Very daily uh, necessities going to the store to get. But notice here, it's going to affect even the trade and the transportation. Notice in a one hour, what does it come to all? It comes to nothing. It's all destroyed. And they weep and they mourn. It says verse 18, and they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? What happened to this great city? The city that we trusted in, that we put our trust in. Verse 19, they threw dust on their heads and they cried out weeping and wailing, saying, Allah, Shalas, that great city, which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she is made desolate. We were made rich by her, and now she's made desolate. Now she is destroyed. This is exactly why it's so important. Notice that the riches that we have are not riches that are here on earth. Did not Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, write this down, Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't lay up yourselves treasures here on earth where it can be taken away, where it can lose its value. Where you can become upset one day because someone can take it from you. If someone can take it from you, then it's not a real treasure. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Jesus says, where neither moth or rust destroys, where neither thieves cannot break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about where your, your heart is right now. You know where it's at? It's where you, what you treasure the most. And then he says this in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. What are we to seek? Are we to seek the treasures of this world? No, it says seek God and His righteousness. The kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things are going to be added unto you. Let's look at the voice of celebration now. Because while there's lamentation on this earth, in verse 20 to verse 24, there's celebration taking place in heaven. Why? Because now God is avenging now His people. And it says there in verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. What has God done? God has avenged you. Let God avenge you. Let God defend you now. God has judged her for your sake. God has judged this system that has persecuted the church for your sake. They're, they're now rejoicing in heaven because God has repaid. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone in verse 21. Notice an angel, what does he do? And he gives us an illustration here of this millstone. And he throws this millstone into the sea, thus saying, with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall be not found anymore. Just the way that I've thrown this millstone onto the sea now. 
with such violence, thrusting it down to the sea, very quickly, this same now empire is going to be thrown down. It's going to come to an end. Verse 22, the sound of harpists and musicians and flutists and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. That celebration that you think that you have parading here on earth because of pleasure, because of luxury, because of wealth, living after the things of this world, notice there's not going to be a sound of celebration anymore. No craftsman or any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Verse 23, the light of a lamp shall not shine on you anymore. You will not celebrate or you will not stand in your pride anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard anymore. Notice that word anymore keeps coming up. Because it's, be, it's going to become a place of desolation. For your merchants were great men of the earth. You trusted in those great things of this world. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. What does sorcery mean? It's that word pharmakia. Pharmakia, by your sorcery. Your deception of wealth, of pleasure, has been like a drug. that <laughs> has addicted the nations of the earth the nations of the world, and they have been fed by this false drug of advertising wealth. So what is God doing? God is not only destroying the deceived now, but also He's destroying the deceivers. And it says, verse 24, And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all those who were slain on the earth. This economic, now commercial Babylon was fallen because she was responsible for persecuting the church. And what is the message that is here for us? It's there found in verse 4. Come out of her. Be pure, be holy, be separated. That's exactly when we read this chapter, we have to make a decision. Are you going to be a citizen of Babylon? Or are you going to be a citizen of heaven? Are you going to serve this, this world's systems of greed and a covetousness or God's kingdom? And ask yourself truly, does this world have any bondage over me right now when it comes to possession or materialistic things? Or do I have to cast out any idols so that I don't live for the things, I'm not entangled by the things of this world? I'm going to leave you with three verses as we close tonight. And number one is found there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul reminds Timothy that you are engaged in warfare right now. So don't become entangled by the things of this world. He says this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You, you, you're engaged in warfare. Just think about a soldier that's engaged in warfare and then him thinking about things that are outside of the battlefield or becoming distracted and entangled by the cares of this life. He reminds Timothy, he says, no, you're engaged in warfare, so do not become entangled. Today, are you engaged? Or are you entangled with the, war, with the things of this world? The second verse is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where we're encouraged to do the will of the Father. He says this, do not love the world or the things of the world. Don't become in love with the material things of this world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
That's the system, the rule of Babylon here that it describes for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Notice, the lust of the flesh, what I see, what I desire, what brings me pleasure, the pride of life, my status, my power, my control, my title, my position. That's the pride of life now. That's not of the Father, that's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of the Father, what does it say? Will abide forever. What is it that we would walk in God's will? Not for this world, but for God's will. Not for money, not for possessions, but for the Lord. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this final set of verses, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Would you turn there with me tonight? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Paul tells Timothy this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. You want gain today? Then gain godliness. Do you want gain today? Then gain holiness. You want gain today? Then gain Jesus. <laughs> godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. You brought nothing into this world. What are you going to carry? You're not going to take anything with you. What do you think you're taking with you? You're not taking it with you. It says, and having food and clothing with this, we shall be content. We shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, those that, that's the motivation. That's the goal. Money, possessions now. Those who desire fall into temptation and a snare or a trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. How many people have you known that were one time walking with the Lord, but because of money, no longer are they walking with the Lord? Because they got caught up in a career. They got caught up in work. They got caught up in making money. They drowned and they become lost now. For the love of money is the root, and here it is, of all kinds of evil. The love of money. The love of self and the love of money, the root of all kinds of evil, which many have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. And he identifies this for Timothy. And notice how he exhorts him now in verse 11. But you, O man of God, but you, O women of God, you, O men of God, you church. This is how he describes it. Flee these things. Run away from them. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Would you pursue these things? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession and the presence of many witnesses. What are we called to do? To flee from these worldly, secular things and fight the good fight of faith in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.